in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There, our Genesis foundation sprang from the will and word of the great I Am. Woven deep into these foundations are rich truths of God and man, sin and righteousness, life and death, and everything else of ultimate consequence. What God started in Genesis is now settled and completed in Christ Jesus. We began our, near the top of our outline last Sunday. I, uh, I put forward the assertion that whatever you believe about beginnings, the universe, our, our planet Earth, mankind, you, you, whatever you believe, you believe by faith. Given that you weren't there. Um, and I was, I was reminded this, this week of, uh, of a scripture. This is not on your outline, but uh, Hebrews 11, verses 1, 2, and 3, especially verse 3, but Hebrews 11, 1, 2, and 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We by faith understand this universe to have come into existence out of nothing but the will and words of the living God. From that, I've taken my, my title this morning. I uh, typically entitle my sermons in English, but there's a, there's a wonderful old Latin term for the theological concept that Hebrews 11.3 is stating. And so you're, you're not suddenly without the ability to read your, um, your lesson or your sermon title this morning, Creatio Ex Nihilo, Creation Out of Nothing. Because that is the narrative we are given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the pen of Moses. What we have in Genesis 1 is an eyewitness account of creation from the one who did it from the one who was there. Before we, before we begin to walk through, and we're going to be taking a, a brisk walk this morning through these, these creative days, I wanna, I wanna put first, Roman numeral one on your outline, some concepts from the creation account. Now, I very much encourage, if you were not with us last week, there's some, there's some foundation work we began to do last week. And uh, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to speak to you this morning as though you were here last week. And I know that, that life happens and not everyone here was here last week, but know that we're, we're building upon what we shared last week. Those recommended resources, if you have the outline, either on paper or digitally, those recommended resources, I talked through those last week and very much recommend them for your further study if you are going to understand 
from a lens of biblical integrity what's going on in Genesis chapter one, but there are some concepts. So letter uh, A under Roman one on your outline, the heavens. The heavens. Here, early in Genesis, the Bible speaks of the heavens in the plural. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are other places in scripture where we get a hint of the heavens. And uh, the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse two, recounting back to a time, I believe, when he was stoned and left for dead in Derby on his second, no, first missionary journey, Paul, according to his own narrative later in 2 Corinthians, Paul doesn't know if that incident where he was stoned left him quite dead to come back to life or only nearly dead. But at that time, according to his own later testimony in 2 Corinthians 12, he was given a good hard look into what he called the third heaven, which apparently is the abode of the living God. So when we speak of the heavens in plural, just for background, it's, uh, it's most simply understood that the first heaven is the daylight sky. Blue sky, white clouds, and birds and stuff. The second heaven is the nighttime sky. Stars and the moon and all manner of other things. The third heaven is the abode of the living God. So if you want to remember it in shorthand, we see the first heaven by day, we see the second heaven by night, we see the third heaven by faith. Just simply put. Another concept, letter B on your outline, day. Day. Now you and I both know that in, even in English usage, also in Hebrew, the word day can mean various things. You know, back in the day is a phrase we sometimes use. In my great-grandfather's day, they delivered ice on trucks to let your ice box keep your food cold. However, here in Genesis 1, the author of Genesis, again, uh, Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seems to be going well out of his way to make certain we understand these days in very, very plain sense. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the, the second day. He seems to be going out of his way to make certain we understand these days to be days. Now, some of you who have read ahead know that the, the uh, sun, moon, and stars don't come into existence until day four. And, and yet, Pastor Russell, are you saying that you believe these days are elapsing before day four? I do. The day's length is not determined by the rotation of the earth on its axis. The rotation speed of the earth on its axis was determined by the one who set the length of what a day is. God comes first. He's not derived from anything. He's the origin. So there's no, there is no compelling reason that day in Genesis 1 means anything other than a 24-hour time period as a plain reading of the text clearly says. The water's above the expanse. There's this, this separation of waters on day two. 
that creates this waters above the expanse. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a deep, old-school, creationistic dive for a minute because I know in this congregation, because I've met some of you, there are some of you who, as I, go back decades and decades. In Some of you bought a first edition, Henry Morris, the, the Genesis flood, uh, I, I didn't. I came to the party 25, 30 years too late for that. But the, uh, well, not bo born 10 years too late to, well, no. That book and I, I think were born the same year, but I wasn't reading so well back then. At any rate, for years and years and years in creationist thought, the waters above the firmament, the waters above the sky were held to be a water vapor sort of canopy that enveloped the earth in the time before Noah's flood. Um, Creation scientists are not a monolithic block. There's, there's quite a lot of very inquisitive science going on in there and lots and lots of questions being asked. By the way, asking questions is science. It's flummoxing to me how in the last three or four years we've been told over and over again, trust the science, don't ask questions. When the asking of questions is science. Unless my third grade teachers lied to me. At any rate, this, this pre-flood canopy of water vapor has been held by most creationists to be the waters above the flood, but in recent years, that theory has come under very critical examination, and, and for various reasons, it probably doesn't work. And so, for those of you who are old school creationists like me, there's the, uh, the thinking is expanding on what the waters above the sky are, and we find, again, in secular cosmology, the weight of the universe is way, way off, according to white hole cosmology, which is one of the avant-garde ways of thinking about our universe. And there is some creationistic theory that says there's a massive water reservoir out there somewhere beyond our ability to yet see the edge of the universe that would account for this huge difference in mass. Now that was a deep dive and you probably don't need it, but I wanted to tell the truth to my old creationist friends that the water vapor canopy theory is no longer very current creationist thinking. <sighs> However, letter D is something you do need to understand. The concept of kind it's a recurring theme in the early chapters of Genesis, and you need to understand it. Let me give you a definition, and this is not on the screens, and if you like definitions, I'll give it to you slowly enough that you can write it down. A kind, as we see in Genesis 1, a kind is a biological grouping within which reproduction is possible with fertile offspring. Not species. When we get to Noah and the ark, it's an important distinction because Noah doesn't load the ark with, with multiples of every species. He loads it with multiples of every kind, which is an important distinction because there are far fewer kinds than there are species. In fact, in, in modern taxonomy, that is the grouping of biological groupings, Species still has a fuzzy definition. There are robust arguments between and among scientists regarding is this, is this, is this little critter the same or a different species than this little critter? 
Or is it a variant within the existing species? Because the definition of species is itself a bit fuzzy and subject to much debate. However, kind is clear. If the, if the, they, if the, if the critters can reproduce and their offspring can reproduce, they're the same kind. A chihuahua and a timber wolf are not the same species. However, though it may entail logistical complications, a chihuahua and a timber wolf can produce fertile puppies. They're the same kind. And enormous variations within kind are possible. Who would say otherwise? By either natural selection or selective breeding, enormous variations within kind are possible. You want an illustration? Look around the room. Look at all the different variations on Homo sapien we can put in this room. Voila. But the kind barrier is inviolate. Timberwolf and the Chihuahua can have puppies. They cannot produce camels because camels are of a different kind and that barrier cannot be violated. By the way, and I'm not going to belabor technical creationism through this whole study, I really am not, but uh, I did share briefly last Sunday that in my own biography, I had a, a, a crisis of faith regarding creation and evolution as a much, much younger man. And I've decided to, to kind of, I've told the story in numerous settings, but I'm gonna tell it again this week on Beyond the Notes. Uh, the, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and do a little spoiler. It ends with a college biology professor dismissing class in tears of rage and frustration because I asked him three simple questions. And I promise I was polite about it. I'll tell you that story this week on Beyond the Notes. At any rate, we come now to the chronology of creation. These creative days. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. That is, it was sterile, lifeless. And darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. Now Genesis 1 verse 4. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning. The first day. Day one, light separated into day and night. This formless, sterile earth begins to rotate on its axis against a light source nearby in space. It's not the sun yet. Perhaps it is the living God himself, perhaps something else. We don't know. Day one. Day two, he creates the sky. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven. This is the sky, and somewhere a massive body of water beyond the heaven, beyond the second heaven, 
At any rate, the sky itself is created and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. On day three, dry land and plants. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. Notice that he creates mature trees on this day. The first apple trees are created bearing fruit. The first apple trees, 15 seconds after they're created, don't look like 15 second old apple trees. They look like apple trees with apples on them. That's important because God is showing us here in principle he is creating a mature functioning universe. That's why if you had met Adam 15 minutes after his creation, you wouldn't have perceived him to be 15 minutes old. I've been around some people that are 15 minutes old. They're tiny and they make weird noises. Adam was a full-grown man when he was 15 minutes old because God created a mature human being as he created mature apple trees, as he created a mature universe. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Well, the fourth day he creates the sun, the moon, the stars, and the rest of the celestial inventory. God doesn't need the sun to light the earth. He himself is the light of the eternal city heaven. He has given us the sun to light the earth. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Um, on the street where I live, and I live in a, in a subdivision in South Fort Myers, and there's lots of street lights, but there's a section of street not far from my house where, where there's a, there's a little park-like area and there aren't any street lights right in there and it's pretty dark at night. Still in South Fort Myers and the horizons are pretty brightly lit with, you know, I can, I can see the lights of I-75 if I look east and I can see the lights of other things around. But uh, on a clear night, especially if I stay out for a little while and let my irises adjust, I'm staggered by the profundity of the glory of God. Twice in my life I've been I've been in places where the, the, the sky just made me gasp. Both of them were on mission trips. Um, one time in the Guatemalan highlands near the, the height of the, 
uh, well, what passes for the height of the mountains in Guatemala, 12, 13,000 feet above sea level and not a lot of lights around. That was the first time in my life I ever clearly saw the Milky Way edge on at night. What is that white smear that goes horizon to horizon? And then some years after that, I was privileged to be camping in the northern part of Zambia, far from most electric lights as well. And that time it was the, not far into the southern hemisphere, but, but definitely in the southern hemisphere. And I saw the completely different arrangement of stars you see when you're on the other side of the equator from where I've spent most of my life and some of the different constellations and such. And just the magnitude. Why that complexity? The Hubble looks breathtakingly even deeper. Of late, the James Webb Telescope is showing us no matter how deeply we peer, we find more and greater and more and greater complexity at more and greater distances. Why would the living God go to all the trouble? Well, the real answer is to declare his glory like Psalm 19.1 says he does. And the other answer to parrot my friend and mentor Adrian Rogers when asked why God would go to all the trouble to create this infinitely vast universe, his response was, what trouble? What trouble? And to think that he cares for us and has invested in us unique in all the infinitude of his creation the role and privilege of image bearer if that hasn't taken you aback lately your thinking is too small day four day five sea life and birds and god said let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. On the sixth day, land animals and mankind. And God said, verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Notice the differentiation between the breath of life and plants. Plants are not said to have life in the same sense animals and people are. Also notice that since there is no death at this point, there can't be any carnivorous activity. That doesn't mean that vegetarianism is somehow superior with great respect to my vegan friends. But you can't have meat eating without death and you can't have death till the fall in Genesis 3 unless Genesis gets it wrong. You can't tuck ages and ages of evolutionary life and death into this phase of the Bible without washing your hands of any claim that the Bible is true. Worldviews matter. It was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And we'll come back to some of this stuff in a minute. Thus the heavens and earth, chapter two, were finished. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. The work of creatio ex nihilo is complete. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Roman number three, the culmination of creation. The high point is the creation of the image bearers. In all of creation, only mankind are the image bearers. So what does it mean? What does it mean that you and I bear the image of God? And by the way, there are two things, two fundamental foundational pillars upon which must rest any biblical view of who mankind is. The first of those is this unique, spectacular, fantastic thing that we are created in the image of God. All human beings, thus remarkably valuable, unique, spectacular, alone in the created universe, the image bearers. However, if you must understand humankind biblically, you must also understand what's coming in Genesis, what's established for you and me, and that is man's fallenness. Created to be sure, but also horribly corrupted. Now we'll get there in Genesis 3. You must understand that while we do bear the image of God and you're right to tell your children and grandchildren how unique and wonderful and special they are, that's true, but the thing is messed up. The image of God has been corrupted by the fall. And while we are unique and special and valuable, we also have sinful tendencies, characteristics, and realities. We are broken and the image of God in us is corrupted. And we are isolated from the God who created us by our sin with only one possible way back. 
that being the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. But what is it to bear the image of God? Volumes have been written. Let me give you a simplistic set of things that are true of us. At least this is true of us because of the image of God. First, eternality. You and I are eternal beings. Now, we're not eternal going backward. We have a beginning point at the moment of our conception. We, we come into existence, but we shall never pass out of existence. So henceforth, we are eternal. You're going to live forever as you in either heaven or hell. You are an eternal being. You are the only thing in the universe apart from the living God himself and his word that's going to last forever as you. You're going to live forever. And Jesus Christ and your response to him is the watershed as to whether that eternal existence will be either eternal life or eternal, ongoing, never-ending death in a place called hell. Eternality is part of the image of God. Second, creativity. Human beings want to make stuff. We make stuff with our brains. We make stuff with our hands. Art, literature, intentional music, not just the singing of birds, but, but complex music. Bridges and buildings. We have an impulse in us to be able to walk away from something, turn back to it and say, that's mine, I made that. That creative impulse is an echo of the image of God. Morality, the ability to discern that which is truly good from that which is truly evil. Now I know, I know, I've seen the YouTube video. I love Guilty Labrador Retriever YouTube videos. They make me laugh. Don't send me the links, I've already seen it but of the Labrador retriever who's been shredding up stuff in the garbage can and you walk in the kitchen and he goes. He's not doing that because he knows that what he has done is innately evil. He's doing that because he knows from your body language, tone of voice, and his own experience that he's blown it yet again. In human beings, however, there is in the echo of the image of God the capacity to grasp and discern true good and true evil. That has no evolutionary explanation. It's there because of the image of God. Evolutionarily, anything that advances the reproductive capacity of the species should be good. There should be nothing wrong with lying. And yet everyone knows that it's a bad thing when you say a bunch of stuff that's not true. Morality. What has God given to his sinless image bearers right here at the beginning? Well, he gives us authority this dominion that he gives us over the world that he has created. We occupy a unique space in creation because we occupy a unique space in the heart of the creator. We are to manage and steward the world that God has given us, authority. Second, provision. He gives us food, water, and air. Gravity's nice. He's given us lots and lots of things of which we ought be appreciative his provision for us. He gave gender and sexuality, male and female, he created them with the capacity to reproduce. I had one philosophy professor at my secular college say, of course, Christians believe that the forbidden fruit is sex. I raised my head gently and I said, what Christians believe that? God's first commandment regarding sex was go for it. 
Male and female created he them, be fruitful and multiply. Now I know I'm paraphrasing and I don't mean to be crude, but sex with reproductive capability predates the fall. By the way, male and female created he them. That's two categories. And it is not possible to jump from one category to the other. God can create ex nihilo. God can create something from nothing. You and I can't. No matter how many fictional categories the evil mind of man chooses to imagine into existence, we just can't do it. I can state with confidence there is no such thing as a transgender human being. That category just doesn't exist. It's not that I'm against it. It just can't exist. You can chemically and surgically mutilate some stuff and dress funny, but you can't hop the gender barrier. It just can't be done. Creatio ex nihilo is the province of the living God, not his creatures. One science fiction author famously said that if you're going to make an apple pie from scratch, you have to first create a universe wherein there are apples. We create from other stuff. We don't create from nothing. God creates from nothing. And gender and sexuality is part of his gift to his creatures. And then just variety and beauty. From, from the moon to broccoli. from blue whales to hummingbirds, from the sound of bird song to the rumble of earthquakes. He is the original author of all of it. But we've disobeyed him in almost unimaginable cosmic treason, the apple of his eye, the image bearers in his creation have sinned. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You are estranged from your creator this morning if you are outside of Christ and the only means whereby you can know this creator and you can know him is by the gift of God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice, rose from being utterly dead to once again live as the emphatic proof of the reality of his claims, and now stands as the provided sacrifice for the sin of mankind if you will turn from your sin, look to him in sorrow and tell him that you realize what you've done and you hate what you've done and you long to be a new creature and you're trusting him by faith. If you will turn from your sin and trust him by faith, your eternity will be eternal life with him, not eternal, perpetual, unending death punished from his presence. That is the story of the Word of God from Genesis on. And it continues to our day.
with the open door to come to Jesus.